This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin right there in verse 35. Tonight I'm going to be reading from the NLT, not the ESV, but if you need a Bible, you're always welcome to grab one from the Connect Center. That is our gift to you. But let's read this together. It'll be on the screen for those of you that don't have your Bibles. Mark 4, verse 35 says this, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Tonight's message is called Crossing to the Other Side. Verse 36, So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, say soon, soon a fierce storm came up, and high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Now, as I said last week, the question is not if you're going to go through storms. The question is when, right? The question is when. And the truth is, all of us are going to go through times and seasons in our life where we feel overwhelmed by the breaking waves of life. Anybody been there? Sure. Some of you are there right now. But the question is not if. The question is how will you respond when you go through it? How will you respond when the storm comes? To be honest, this is what I'm wrestling with in my life right now. As your pastor, the Lord has been, has been leading me into a season of learning how to grow in trust with him as he takes me further out into the deep. A couple of things I want you to notice about this text that I think are important for our time today and critical to our growing in faith with Jesus. Number one, the temptation of the disciples here was to completely misunderstand what Jesus was actually up to. Now, to give you guys some context, over the the course of the last couple chapters, crowds have been showing up because Jesus has been doing major miracles. I mean, signs, wonders, healing, and the word's getting out, the word's getting out on the street that this Messiah, this rabbi, this teacher named Jesus is performing all these miracles. So all of these crowds are starting to show up. The second temptation of the disciples to misunderstand not just the what, but the why behind why Jesus wanted them to cross over to the other side must have gone something like this. I can imagine that as the, fo- as the followers of Christ began to see the crowds and began to see all the ministry success and began to see all the stuff that they must have thought to themselves, wow, like if this is how things are going now, sky's the limit. I mean, we're going to the moon. So the other side must represent bigger, better, a, a, a more success, more opportunity, right? So I could see them replaying this sort of this, this idea, this, this thought in their head as Jesus invites them to go to the other side. I mean, just look at how popular Jesus has become. And then what happens? A storm. A storm breaks out and they start taking on wider, uh, wider. They start taking on water, the scriptures tell us here. A fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking in the boat and it began to fill with water and it's filling up fast. Can I tell you something? Anytime that you want to grow in your faith, get ready for the storm. Get ready for the storm. Get ready to start taking on some water and get ready to feel the weight of waves crashing upon you and all around you. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now, like Pastor Jason, like that's not very encouraging. That's not very affirming. All right. I mean, I'm good with Jesus healing me. I'm good with him showing up and curing my disease and touching my leprosy and 
doing all the miracles, even setting me free. I'm good with all of that. I'm good with the blessing. How many are thankful for the blessings of God, the blessings of Christ? But storms? I mean, I don't know. Jesus, I thought you loved me. I thought you care about me. As I've said kind of throughout this series, the deep is a scary place. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a place full of storms, tumultuous waters, a place of great turbulence, a place where we no longer get to remain in control. So the question I want to start with today is this, who's in control of your life? Who's really honestly in control of your life? Last week, I talked about how Ezekiel was standing on the shore and he was at a distance from the deep that God was calling him out into. Are some of you still standing on the shore and the sidelines of your faith, just kind of looking at Jesus? Oh, there goes Jesus. Oh, I guess I missed the boat, but it's all right. I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the shore. It's safe. It's cozy. I got my little, uh, Lori's got a little shirt with a little, little beach scene on it, right? A little beach chair on the back. You know, I got my little, my little cooler, my cactus cooler. I got my umbrella. I'm just, I'm just cool. God, I'm cool. You know, we're good. But how many of you guys know that that's not where the Lord wants us to remain? It's not where he wants us to stay because if we just stay on the shore, we're never going to experience the deep or the depths of who he is and wants to be in our life. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, I want us to notice another few couple interesting things about this text. Where is Jesus in the midst of the storm? He's sleeping. And what's their response? Jesus, we're taking on water. We're going down with the ship. And you don't even care about us. You don't even care that we're going to drown. Anybody ever feel that way before? I mean, let's be honest here. Have you ever prayed that way? I know I have. I've been like, God, do you not see what's going on in my life? Do you not see what's going on in my finances? Do you not see what's going on in our church? Do you not see what's going on in our world? Where are you? We're taking on water. We're going to drown. <laughs> Some of you are, you're there right now. And you're like, I'm going down. I don't know what to do. And maybe even in your heart, you wonder if Jesus even cares. Can I tell you something? Jesus cares. Jesus absolutely cares about you. He cares about where you've been, cares about where you are, cares about where you're going to go. He cares about you. In fact, he's just got done demonstrating it over the course of the last few chapters. I just want to point out a couple ways in which Jesus has demonstrated that he cares. Here's the first one. He casts out evil spirits. We see that in Mark chapter one, right at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. Jesus is already setting people free. He heals people with leprosy. As I've taught on in the past, to touch leprosy in a Jewish culture meant that you were unclean and you had to go outside of the community of faith. So Jesus steps into the midst of this community and he starts healing people with leprosy, starts touching them. That was a big no-no. We see in Mark chapter two, he forgives people of their sins. He starts forgiving people of their sins before the cross. Now, that should tweak some of your theology, right? It tweaks mine. I thought Jesus had to, had to die on the cross for my sins in order to be forgiven. Well, apparently, Jesus already possesses the authority and the power to forgive sins here and now because the, the text tells us in the Gospel of Mark, Luke, John, even Matthew, that he 
has the power and the authority to forgive sin. Pharisees are freaked out by this. They're like, only God can forgive sin. This is blasphemy. It was. Mark chapter 2, 11, he heals a man who couldn't walk, right? Same guy, the paralytic. His friends let him down on the mat. You guys know the story. Jesus heals him. The Bible actually tells, tells us that, he, that Jesus sees the faith of the friends and because of the faith of the friends, he heals this man. That's mind-blowing. I love what he does next. Mark chapter two, verse 15. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. So now he's, he's breaking from societal norms and he's doing things that are unexpected. He heals a man with a withered hand. He says, reach out your hand and let me heal you in Mark three, verse five. And then he heals many more that same day, just five verses later. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because the disciples were here for every single one of these miracles. They saw the power of God extended through Christ they witnessed it. They touched it. They saw it. Could you imagine if people were to come in here right now with withered hands and we prayed for them and their hands just grew out in front of our eyes? Everyone would be like, oh my gosh, God's amazing. He is. But they're there. They're present for each and every one of these miracles. They're, they're watching Jesus do all this. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing all the ways that Jesus cares about people. So when we start with the question that the disciples later ask when they're in the midst of the storm, Jesus, don't you even care that we're going to drown? He's already proved in a short time in his ministry, in his earthly ministry, that he cares. He absolutely cares. But even Jesus needs a nap. Even Jesus needs a nap. Fully God, yes, we know that. But also what? Fully man. The text tells us that he's sleeping with his head on a cushion. It's on a pillow. Any of you just like love your pillow? I think it's time for me to get a new pillow. I keep waking up with this like kink in my neck. I don't know what's going on. I need to go get like one of those my pillows, you know, or, or whatever. But <laughs> if they're still making them, I think he got banned. But in any case, Jesus is on the boat. Storm's broken out. Waves are coming in. Water's everywhere. And Jesus is sleeping with his head on a pillow. I love the picture of this. Despite the chaos around them, Christ is napping or sleeping in perfect peace. In other words, he's not panicking. He's not freaking out. He's not worried. He's not even bothered. Well, that is until the disciples shout at him and wake him up. <laughs> Interesting side note, never shout at somebody when they're napping. I tell my kids this all the time. Don't, don't wake up the, the bear when he's sleeping, you know? You're going to get the claw. But uh, they see Jesus and, and he's, he's in a place of perfect shalom. The word shalom in the Bible represents not just peace or tranquility. It represents wholeness. It represents an unanxious or non-anxious presence in the midst of a turbulent, anxious world. That's what Jesus is embodying because he's synced up with the Father. Remember, it was the Father that led Jesus to go to the other side. So when we look at Jesus doing this, we're like, oh, Jesus, why are you doing this? Because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus is following his Father to the other side. And he's bidding, beckoning his disciples to come with him. Verse 39 and 40. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly, 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 I love the suddenlies of God. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 
Some translations say a great peace. Then Jesus asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, permit me a little bit of artistic or creative license, but I can imagine that after lengthy days of ministry, that Jesus is a little tired here. And where has he been? He's been napping. So when I read this text, I read Jesus being a little grumpy, okay? Because I know when I wake up from naps, like I'm like, where? get out of here. Ugh. I, it, so I want you to just kind of just permit me this, all right? This is not like, this is my interpretation, but Jesus wakes up and he's like, shut up, wind. He's like, be quiet, waves. Disciples, what's wrong with you guys? Like, what's wrong with you guys? I was napping. Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Now, if you're the disciples here, you're kind of like, Jesus, did you not see the waves were all around us? They were taking us down. The boat was filling up with water. We were sinking. That's why we're afraid, right? That's what I think. Like when if I'm in their situation, I'm like, Jesus, don't, don't you see it? There's water everywhere. We're going down. Let's be honest, all of us have been there. Some of you, like I said, are there now. And yet, what is Jesus' response? He rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves, and he rebukes the disciples. Well, that's not really nice of you, Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, you know, Jesus, that's not very sensitive to my feelings. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling extra triggered by this right now, Jesus. That triggers me. <laughs> Now, that's how some of you or some of us or others might respond. But that's actually not how the disciples respond here. Let's look at the text again. Verse 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. They're terrified. Now, if you thought they were afraid before, the word used for terrified here means they were like awestruck. They were amazed. They were freaked out of their skulls at what Jesus had just done before them. The disciples were absolutely terrified and they said in their hearts and to each other, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? You and I might think that they'd be upset with Jesus, but they were too busy being amazed by him. They were too busy being terrified by him. Can I tell you something else today? I think that in the West, we need to recapture some of our fear of the Lord. We need to regain some awe and some wonder like we were praying and singing about earlier. We've lost sense of the fear of God and it might just take a storm or two to remind us that he alone is God and we are not. It just might take a storm or two to remind us that he is the only one, that's right, the only one who is the master of the deep. The master of the deep. Once again, our text for this series, Isaiah chapter 43, verses one through two, put it up there. Do not be afraid, the Lord says, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, not if, when you go through it, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, not if, but when you go through it, you will not Drown. Friends, God has never changed who he is because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you believe that tonight? What God said he will do in his word, I have absolute confidence that he will do because he's not a man that he should lie. He always keeps his promises. 
He always keeps his promises, which is why I think Jesus is so peeved and so kind of angry with them. Where's your faith? Do you not remember the stories of what Yahweh did for you in the desert? Do you, you not remember the victories over the many giants and tribes that were in the valley? Do you not remember how I ransomed you and rescued you from exile and fought your battles for you time and time? Again, you guys, they didn't have print Bibles. They had to commit this stuff to memory. The stories were passed on from generation to generation, and they spent most of their life memorizing it. They knew They knew that God is the God who fights battles, who did what he did in the Valley of Elah with David. They knew that he was the one that went in and conquered out the tribes of the Amorites and the Amalekites. They knew their Bible, okay? They knew their scriptures. And Jesus is like, where's your faith, you guys? Have you not forgotten? In addition, they just spent the last four chapters with Jesus, seeing him do all of this amazing stuff. The truth is, they didn't really know who was with them in the boat. Unless we be too hard on them, my question for us is, do we? Do we really know who is with us? Verse 41 reveals a rather interesting detail I want you to notice. Put it up there. It says this, the disciples are absolutely terrified. We know this. And then what's their next response? Who is this man? Who is this man? Certainly they weren't convinced that he was God. And what's even more interesting to note is that they weren't convinced of who he was even after he did all these miracles, signs, and wonders. Some of us wrongfully think that if people could just experience the miracles and put their hands in Jesus's wounds, that then they'd believe. And the truth is, that's not always the case. In fact, the moment storms break out, none of that really seemed to matter for them, did it? all the healings, the signs, the wonders, the cleansing of evil spirits, none of it seemed to matter the moment chaos erupted in their life. Because what was ultimately hidden became revealed. What is hidden will always be revealed in our lives. The question I have for us today is this. What do you really believe about Jesus? I'm not talking about when times are good. Remember pre-COVID, everybody's just like living on cloud nine. Economy's great, jobs are great, gas prices are great, food cost is low, nobody's worrying about running out of toilet paper. It's like, yeah. And I remember like listening to utopian philosophers be like, oh yeah, it's finally coming together. We're building a more perfect union, a more perfect society. Look what's happening. It's awesome. And then boom, shut down. And what happened? What was actually hidden within the soil of our lives began to become revealed. What do you really believe about Jesus? Or let me put it this way, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus merely a man? Is he merely a good and moral teacher? Is he a fascinating person from history to read about even? Maybe you're watching this online, that's where you're at. Or is he God and Lord? Anybody remember C.S. Lewis's work, Mere Christianity? In it, C.S. Lewis said that you need to make up your mind about who Jesus is. And to do so, there are only really three options available to us. Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Jesus and the disciples and the writers of the gospel and the scriptures are either the world's best liars 
or they're absolutely crazy because nobody raises from the dead. Nobody makes the kinds of claims that Jesus does. So either Jesus is a liar and somebody just made it all up and we've all been duped or he's crazy or C.S. Lewis says he's Lord. He's actually who he says he is. Have you made up your mind about who Jesus says he is? Who is Jesus really to you? Jesus would later ask this same question to one of his disciples, Simon Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, in the NIV, it says this, but what about you, Simon Peter? He asked, who do you say I am? This comes right after Jesus asked him, what are the people saying about me? Some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say, you know, and Jesus was like, okay, 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 cool. But who do you say that I am, Peter? Who am I to you, Sam? Who am I to you, Levi? Who am I to you, Stephen? Who am I you, to you, Dustin? Who am I to you, Matt? And Taylor? Who am I to you, Mike? Who do you say that I am? This is an important question. Maybe you're listening to this, you're watching this online, and you need to ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus to you? The reason Jesus wants to take all of us to the other side the reason he calls all of us out into the deep is because he wants us to know who he really is. And that's usually revealed in the storm. True, God could reveal himself to you in a burning bush like he did with Moses, or he could take you up on a mount of transfiguration like he did for uh, Peter, James, and John. But chances are, the odds are in your favor that he's gonna reveal himself to you in the midst of the storm. Because, hear me on this, and this is my big idea and my only point tonight, because the storm is where real faith is tested and molded and where real relationships are born. The truth is, you probably aren't going to remember the people that were with you in the good times, but you'll never forget those that were with you in the bad You'll never forget those that were with you in the midst of the storm. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Jesus said this. He said, I'll always be with you. This is the, the last thing Jesus said to disciples before he ascended on high, before he disappeared into the heavens. He said, I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. Church, hear me on this. No matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens next in our culture, or in our society, in our nation, no matter what happens, we have the assurance of this promise that he will be with us. Once again, Isaiah 43 declares that when you go through deep troubling waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. The reason I'm choked up tonight is because I know some of you are going through it right now. And you come to church and you put on a good act and a good mask and you think you've got all of us fooled. Well, most of us, you don't have Mike fooled, okay? But you've been going through it. And I just wanna speak peace to your storm. Like Jesus, I wanna silence the waves and the wind in your life tonight. And this is how we do it, by placing our trust in the unchanging, eternal word of God. Jesus said that I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age, and that's a promise that he will keep. Do you believe that tonight? then get ready because Jesus might just be calling you to go to the other side. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody tonight that's ready to go to the other side. 
Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.